The beginning of a retreat is very important. Establishing yourself in the basics, always going back to the sequential instructions of the Buddha. He is very big about gradual paths. He talks about a gradual path and that there's a beginning, a middle and end to it. And so when you start a retreat, you start off. And uh, we featured the taking of the eight precepts. A great way to arrive at a retreat is just to focus your mind and pronounce out loud your commitment to a series of helpful commitments, behavioral commitments, and some of them are matters of virtue and others are matters of that which assists the development of the higher mind. So the higher mind is primarily the development of the last three factors of the Eightfold Path, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. If those three are properly developed, they should issue quite naturally in some level of wisdom and insight. If you are not properly established in those three, the development of the higher mind, the last three factors of the Eightfold Path, then very unlikely that breakthroughs into insight, wisdom, deep transformations, different directions in life, in a positive direction, will take place. So what we want to do in a retreat, you take off, Uh, some time and go to a very special environment where everybody is practicing together and you get regular encouragements and directions, both personal advice and Adama talks. These are all beautifully conducive to uh, this process, this gradual process and this orderly process. So the essential teachings of the Buddha are also, and his first uh, description of what he went through in his own process of enlightenment was recognizing how things are related to each other causally, how one thing depends on another. And if you set up these conditions, the proper preconditions, then you can expect results. Uh, How else can we do it? Other than that, it's kind of just a fortunate accident or uh, something that happens to you for no particular reason or that you fumble upon. So the teachings of the Buddha regarding the cultivation of the mind or not that. There's clear instructions on how the thing works and what sort of steps to take that lead to this new clarity of mind, 
greater sense of being in touch with things as they are, reality as it is, and that this brings you in touch with also the beautiful, that is the higher conditions of the heart, the emotions, and greater clarity of the mind. So beginning with these precepts, which are only pointing to the idea of virtue. So how do we begin? We establish ourselves in virtue. Virtue is a very beautiful word rather than uh, commandments or even precepts, but virtue is a beautiful idea. When you go to a music concert, especially, say, classical music, you often go to hear a virtuoso. And that doesn't mean that they're pure in their, in their moral development, but it means that they're highly skilled in their particular uh, area of expertise. And so we're applying that to this area of the preliminaries for the development of the higher mind. So you're cultivating your virtuosity. There's a lot of discussions out there, especially in the contemporary world, where there's a lot of mass communication and people can interact and explore ideas together. And one of the things that has come up in in the West in the last few centuries is uh, how do you establish what is the good? What is so-called moral behavior, what is good behavior. Um, And the West has had trouble with this. Once they let go of commandments, they're left searching around in the dark for clarity about how you should behave, how should you think, how should you speak, how should you act. Uh, Because uh, God or the absolute uh, conviction and the mass population involved in the idea of God and God-issuing kind of commandments, uh, that has pretty well ended, and the replacement is yet to be found. And so they're still arguing over um, how to, what the foundations of right behavior are. Buddhism is very interesting. It it doesn't require, never did require uh, uh, theistic uh, commandments, or it never had commandments. <clears throat> At best, it had precepts, guidelines, purely voluntary. Never became, never advocated that they become laws or anything like that. So, what what does the Buddha base these things on? He says that. If you, these are primary types of thought, speech, and action, which if you become skillful in them, if you behave with the right intention behind it, should lead to clarity of mind. That's the only cause for it. It's not something, it doesn't refer to Um, anything outside of this uh, 
conventional reality. Um, it doesn't say anything more than that these are the foundations for the experiencing of a deeper and state of clarity. And if you don't, then the energies that uh, are per- produced in the mind, the types of chaotic energies or more agitated energies or aversive energies, they will never allow you to enter into a state of clarity and peace. They will. It's not something external. Your own mind, unless brought into a state of uh, harmony, cannot enter into the beginnings of Clarity And the beginnings of clarity really uh, start with the beginning of the eighth factor of the Eightfold Path, that is samadhi. Why do they begin there? Because in order to qualify to enter there, the five hindrances have to have subsided. If any of the five hindrances are active, you cannot enter into a state of well-being and clarity, Many people in their entire lives, I would say even a majority of the population, will not enter, set foot in there. They will not experience freedom from the primary harass, self-harassments of the mind. Unnecessary irritants, psychic uh, problems, turbulence, that are the nature of unskillful activity of the mind. So this is what the reason why we're establishing ourselves in these commitments to virtuous behavior, we might call precepts, those are the outward uh, boundaries of it, just to help. The Buddha says, how else can you find your way through? I will walk you through some of the moves some of the moves that you should not make and some of the moves that you should make, I'll walk you through them. But I can't give you the inspiration behind it. I can tell you how to make the go through the motions. So the precepts are kind of going through the motions, acting as if you are a virtuous person. But a virtuous person is one who is uh, in harmony with the the skillful activities. It's kind of like, uh, again, back to music where somebody is learning to play scales and and the notes, and you you can get to a state of quite accomplished state and quite uh, technically able, but then there's another stage where there's a lot of notes, but the, the music is not there. You've learned to play the notes, but you haven't learned to play the music. So, But you have to learn to play the notes first, usually. And so playing the notes is, are these precepts and these um, forms that you take on. But you have to fill them with the music, the feeling of that, the absence of any kind of aversive attitude or the acting on uh, in a, any kind of level of violence towards others or towards yourself or transgressing the bounds of possessiveness. These are 
the notes. They're acting as if you were a good person. And good is just another word for skillful. And skillful is just another word for one who has access to lucidity, clarity of mind, and joy and ease of heart of the emotion. The emotional center is is light, unburdened, free, rejoicing, full of positive uh, feelings for fellow beings. So that is what is called the good or the skillful or the beautiful. So this is the reason for all of these um, little rules. And of course, you know, through life, because we We've had to obey rules, and there's been a lot of questioning rules, especially in West. In the West, we often a little bit of a rebel, questioning things, wondering about these things. But that's the beauty of the explanation. I found a very good explanation for the question, which uh, I had explored. You know, I <clears throat> even when I was a teenager, I was exploring these these ideas and at university in philosophy, and the question is, why be good? And uh, I didn't not, I never came to a very good answer in, um, in any Western philosophy or even any Western religions, but I did get a good answer from the Buddha. Why be good? Because it will make you happy. And happiness is very special. It's not shallow. It's not uh, just a sensory hit, a brief episode. It's something much deeper that you can learn to abide in. So this is what is meant by the Buddha, by virtue and the precepts and all of these things. They are just going through the motions of the dance until you feel it, and then you feel the beauty of it. And... Uh, so that's what we're moving towards. And, and some people don't get that. They end up just being a precise follower of rules, not realizing that it's only a foundation. If, it ha- if it's proper, it will lead to uh, more beautiful emotional states. And that's the point of it. It's not simply to be able to be a perfect follower of rules. I've seen people who are very well behaved and there's a, it can go on for quite some time, but quite often it's, it's just kind of a perfectionism or looking for uh, approval from others. And at some point, it, a tire blows out and they go off the road. Like there's something funny happens, and it's quite startling to see someone who's sort of, I you know, perfect in these things. But they didn't get the main musical, the music behind the perfect behavior. That's the thing. The behavior is just a means to this quality of the heart. That's all it is. And so this is uh, what we're here to do, is set up these nice parameters and conditions. The monastery is basically a good piano, you first get a good piano or good violin or a good guitar or whatever it is. It's just a guitar. 
It doesn't play itself. <laughs> you get to find out if you can produce some <clears throat> uh, quality of the Dharma. And the Dharma is something that you feel. If, it, if you're not feeling, if, it doesn't, if it, is, it doesn't have a very strong and beautiful taste to it, and the Buddha often talks about Dhamma as having a taste to it. Remember, this, he says, the, as the mighty ocean, the great ocean, has but one taste. Wherever you go and put your finger into the ocean, it has one taste. It's salty. Wherever you go in this Dhamma, and wherever you explore and you taste it, it has one taste, freedom. So freedom, we all you like the word freedom. Freedom feels like unburdening, release from our, our harassments, the problems, the impediments to our well-being and happiness, the thing we strive for. And that's the taste of Dhamma. So you should experience that taste you should be looking for that taste in your practice and smiling into it. So it's not something that you grimly wait for. You're actually encouraging it. You know, you're setting, you're trying to bring it on. <laughs> Don't hesitate to suggest it to yourself that I, I am happy now. <laughs> I could be happy now. What's keeping me from being happy now? If there is anything, then that needs to go. So I think this week, uh, I really talked a lot the previous week about equanimity. Um, and it is a profoundly important quality, and I may actually refer to it again, but uh, I will be talking mostly this week about the, the higher parts of the path, the last three factors of the path. Right effort, mindfulness, and samadhi. I hate to use this word concentration because it's not, it just is the wrong English word for samadhi. So I'm just going to leave it as samadhi and just think of it as a very beautiful thing. <clears throat> samadhi. These are the uh, factors of the path of the cultivation of the higher mind. The higher the, the chitta, the, the more sophisticated, higher portions of the path. And this is why you come on these meditation retreats, is that <clears throat> it's not just a dana opportunity or, or an opportunity to take precepts. It's, it's now we get to the more refined parts, which many people, even in the Buddhist world, the Buddhist countries and so forth, they don't get around to the higher development of the mind, unfortunately. <clears throat> For all kinds of cultural reasons, all kinds of personal reasons, all kinds of reasons. And, uh, but you're fortunate enough and wise enough to actually come and explore this and have an opportunity to see what can come up uh, in your explorations striving for the higher mind. And the, when we say the higher mind, it includes your emotional structure. In fact, it features your emotional structure. It's not the higher mind if it doesn't feel good. So it's very much that the Buddha is pointing at feeling. After all, how do you suffer? You don't suffer through some sort of pure thought processes. 
you suffer, suffering is a feeling. And that's the only thing he said that he came to teach, is there is suffering, and there's an end to it. At least all of the other teachings are side effects um, serving this primary quest, uh, the, the end to unnecessary suffering. And not, it's not, not simply the end of suffering, but what follows that is, is the opposite, the most exquisite experiences that a, a human can have. The higher, the higher mind or the higher heart mind. So this is what we are here for this week to make effort towards. And I'll be talking in detail about these three factors. Right effort, right mindfulness, and right samadhi. So that's enough for a preliminary evening. I'm sure you've all had a nice long journey up here and feel it would be nice to just have some peace and quiet and we will make our strivings the rest of the week.